need as much water as I can carry. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Stop with the captain, stop with the noise, because we're trying to watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 69. Pause for jokes. Good, you got that out of your system. (laughs) Today's minute starts with Max getting an update from Slake. And it ends with everyone looking at Tubba. We pick up today right where we left off on Wednesday with Max and Anna Goanna walking through the group of wind-imitating children. (laughs) And as Max gets to the front of the group, we can see Slake standing there looking out over the nothing. And there's no formalities, no good morning, how you doing, no hey, how do you do's. It's straight to business as Max asks, how long? Slake replies that it's been half a night. Maybe less. Maybe less. How does he know how long it's been? I imagine that the waiting ones have in amongst the hunters night watchmen. Folks that stay up just to keep an eye on things. And with that idea of night watchmen, you probably had one kid go out at one point in the night. And then when that kid came back, oh, hey, they're gone. That's weird. But they're a kid. So they don't think much of it and go to sleep. So when everybody wakes up and the kids are gone, Slake's like, what's going on? And then that one kid would be like, oh, yeah, it was weird. I didn't see them when I came back. And Slake would be like, well, why didn't you tell anyone? And so that's where the whole half a night, maybe less thing could come from. Right. Who watches the Watchmen? Nobody. Plus, it was probably already pretty late when Max had them tied up and was sitting by the fire. So it could be that Max just stayed up late. I don't know. So this idea of Watchmen and knowing how long it's been since they left. Well, no, I still have a problem with it. I'm not okay. If they know that they've been gone half a night, why are they just doing something about it now? I suppose I'm kind of answering my own question in my head. They may have interviewed people to try and find out who was the last one to see them there and using that as a benchmark benchmark half the night he says maybe less because that benchmark of half the night is just the last time they were seen Mm -hmm. so i'm not so sure that there were guards on them which i don't like the idea of guards being on them these are in essence brothers and sisters friends if nothing else they are linked by a bond that is just as strong as family and it feels like some of them have turned on others i don't like the idea of guards being set to watch savannah and the group Mm -hmm. it is max's idea to tie them up that's all on him yeah it was his pet project i would expect that he's the one that wanted to tie him up he's the one that needs to make sure they stay there going off that idea is why I think that if they do have night watchmen walking around that when they came back from a shift and noticed that they weren't tied up anymore they didn't think anything of it they didn't think oh they've snuck away they thought oh they finally got untied that's cool I like that my friends are untied Mm -hmm. and it didn't become an issue until everybody woke up in the morning and suddenly the five of them are just gone screw loose is just gone and suddenly everyone's really concerned because they can't find them anywhere i imagine that slake is especially concerned because he was very forceful with savannah yesterday and they probably didn't get a chance to 
make amends or talk it out or anything like that. And he's also probably frustrated by the fact that as much as he might want to go after them to bring them back, he still has an obligation to the rest of the tribe. He can't just run off on a half-planned rescue mission. He needs to stay put. He's lead tracker. He has an obligation to the rest of the tribe, and it would serve the most utility for him to take care of them instead of disappearing himself. With that being said, there's going to come a point, and based on his physique, not that far in the future, where he's going to be a full-fledged adult, and he's going to be expected to take his leaving mm -hmm. under normal circumstances, which are gone now. <laughs> right. Things are going to change now that they've got this whole idea of not going out to find Captain Walker. Mm. Slake seems to me a bit resigned to what has happened. Anna Gawana points out that they ain't got much water. And Slake's response is, makes no difference, they'll be swallowed by the sand. Which we have seen firsthand. Oh yeah, the sands can swallow an entire horse like it's nothing. And yeah, the horse was already dead. And yeah, the horse was dehydrated. But that's not why it got sucked in by the sand. Right. It would have gotten sucked in by the sand anyways. Mm -hmm. And it very nearly got Max too. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's it? Do you think... Slake has just written them off? Written them off, I think, is a strong term. I agree with what you said that his obligation is to the tribe as a whole, which is what was driving his forcefulness with Savannah back at camp, where we noted how angry and aggressive and forceful he was. He was being driven by the greater good. The that greater is good. the center of his life. And now that things have played out in this particular way, he's standing on the edge of the nothing, having lost five people to it. And his obligation is still to the greater good. Mm -hmm. And those people are standing behind him and he has to be there for them. So in essence, you're right. He has written them off. But that doesn't mean he feels good about it. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean he feels good about it. Anna Goenna is definitely the one who is most eager for action in this group. She's not content to stand by the edge of the desert and sing to the wind. She wants to do something. And of course, she turns to Max looking for a solution. Right. And that's evidenced by the fact that she was the only one not with the group doing the leaving. Yeah. I imagine she was probably out there with them at one point saw the evidence of the tracks oh by the way quick side note those tracks should have blown away by now <laughs> if it's been at least six hours yeah. they should have blown away by now so i call fooey on that she left the group her responsibility was to stay there and sing with them that was her role to play and she's like nope not doing that i'm not writing them off i'm gonna go find the one person who seems most capable and might be willing to go out after them. Mm -hmm. So she alone left the group and went back to camp. Max's arrival seems to have sparked off, I wouldn't say a rebellion, but a rebellious spirit, a desire to buck with tradition. Savannah wants to go out into the nothing and find Tamara Morrowland on her own. Slake wants to abandon the whole idea of the leavings altogether. Anna Goanna doesn't want to sing to the wind, she would much rather turn terrestrially to solutions for her problems. You know, these kids seem to have it pretty worked out. They had a balance, things worked out, they had an idea of how things did, and then Max shows up and completely shakes everything, and then suddenly people are doing things that are probably out of the norm for them. That reminds me of way back earlier in this movie, in the scene where Max is walking up to Bartertown. Mm -hmm. Like, looking normal, not misbehaving in any way, 
But Ironbar and his group fall in behind Max because his very presence, there is something about him that sparks Ironbar's interest. And he immediately realizes that this guy is going to be trouble. Mm -hmm. This guy is going to change things, which turned out absolutely true. He completely turned the system of Bartertown on its head. And we don't get to see much see a little but we don't get to see much about how things have changed mm -hmm. the everyday traditions and systems have changed we got a little bit of it in underworld but he did the same thing to barter town that he did to the waiting ones he waltzes in and turns everything upside down it reminds me of pig killer after max found out that the car alarm could disable blaster and therefore the whistle could work too but pig killer walked up to max and said ah i can feel it the dice are rolling something's about to change max just has an air about him he has the winds of change that follow him he's like we've said before the straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back in any situation he walks into I'm thinking about the metaphor that you used, the straw breaking the camel's back. Do you think if Savannah had not returned with Max, do you think that the Waiting One's system and religion could have continued on much longer? It would have continued until they died out. You think so? I think they would have kept going until there were just not enough kids to keep the thing going. You don't think a lack of return on investment would have taken its toll? No. No, I think they would have kept living, birthing the little ones, and then leaving them behind to go out and search for help. And they just would have kept doing that until they got to a point where the tribe could no longer support itself. And then they'd probably just do another big leaving. And all leave together. And just all leave together. And that would be their natural end. Interesting. Right around the time we were talking about the actual Thunderdome, we had some conversations about, is this style of government actually sustainable? Does it actually work? Mm -hmm. It works short term it works in the few days that we see it but we definitely see some flaws in the system so this thing that appears to work isn't sustainable and again another comparison between barter town and the waiting ones this thing this organization that seems to work the people seem to be relatively happy and well cared for in the end it's not sustainable Although I feel like the setup that Auntie has going, as long as Auntie can remain in power, can be pretty stable. But the problem with Auntie is that everything is hinged on her. And so Barter Town continues as long as Auntie continues. That's its lifespan. Mm -hmm. The Waiting Ones, their lifespan is more dictated by their ability to sustain a population. In that sense, they're completely opposite. Auntie has no legacy. She is her own legacy, and there's nothing beyond that. Mm -hmm. The Waiting Ones are nothing but legacy. They don't rule for themselves. They grow up and then they leave. So all there is left is the next generation. So there's lots of comparisons between them, and on that front, completely opposite. You've got the next generation, and then it goes on to, I think it's Deep Space Nine, and then, is it Voyager? Voyager? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. And then, what was after Voyager? Is that is that when they go back to Enterprise? I think so. Yeah. So, basically, the waiting ones are in their best period, and it has varying levels of quality after that. <laughs> Yeah, I can definitely, yeah. I can get on board with that. Yeah. By the time they get to the Enterprise phase, it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. 
There are some people that will probably like it, but more or less people will just leave it alone. Well, it's funny you say that because Enterprise was a prequel mm-hmm. series, which we have said time and time again that we would love to see some of the stories of how people got to where they are in Thunderdome and stories of the last 15 years of Max's life. We want to see those things. Yeah, but they need to be executed well, and I think that's where Enterprise fell short. Yeah. In execution. I also think, yes, we say we want these things, but do we really? Right. Because the next thing you know, what is it? Scott Bakula? Is that the guy who was playing the captain Uh in that show? And they had this weird, what was it? Like a delousing chamber or something like that. Every time they came back from an away mission, you had this weird sequence where everyone was half naked, scrubbing themselves down. I do not know this. I've never seen Enterprise. I've seen more episodes of Enterprise than I care to admit. Because it was the Star Trek that was on television at the time. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's weird. I can't watch Next Generation reruns forever. Yes, you can. Well, when you don't have cable, you can't. You mean your mother didn't record them off of TV, so you didn't have all of them on VHS? No. To watch over and over, forever and ever? No, I did not. Really? We were not a big television recording family. Oh, we like did nothing but record off of television. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that we had every episode of TNG on VHS. Wow. Recorded off of TV. You know, that makes sense, because I feel like at one point you told me that your mom got really good about pausing and restarting recording settings. Oh, yes. She can spot a commercial break coming so good and pause the recording and then bring it back when the commercial break is over. So all those recordings off of TV, they're all commercial free. Huh. Yeah. So she was like pre-Netflix. Absolutely. Mom flicks. Mom flicks. There you go. We spent a little bit more time going off on that joke than I originally planned. (laughs) Not gonna lie. You brought it up. I was going to make the comparison of Star Wars that in the 80s and 90s, people begged and begged and begged for prequels. They really wanted to hear the stories of how these people ended up where they ended up. And then when it happened, everybody was upset and disappointed. So be careful what you ask for. You may not like it in the end. And then it's canon and there's nothing you can do about it. As far as the prequels are concerned, that's definitely another execution problem, though. That's way too complicated a question for us to handle on a Mad Max Minute podcast. Right. I will simply say that the abandoning of physical sets was a major misstep on George Lucas's part. Should have gone the George Miller route, shoot real things with minimal blue screen effects. (laughs) Don't shoot mostly blue screens with minimal real effects. If our listeners are interested in answering that fundamental question of execution versus plot and storyline there's a phenomenal podcast the daddy of all minute podcasts the star wars minute oh yeah and what episode are they on oh they've finished all of the six original movies okay they are going to be moving on i assume to episode seven sometime in 2019 i don't know exactly when they're coming back from hiatus it might be at the tail end of 2018 i don't really know but no if you want extensive star wars talk they're the ones to listen to for sure Getting back into the minute, though, to our own movie. Stop talking about Star Trek and Star Wars. That's right. We're watching a movie. Anna Goanna petitions Max 
to do something. She says, you gotta get him back, you gotta captain. And her saying captain sets Max off, throws his hands up in the air, he says, stop with the captain, stop, and stop the noise, will you? Stop the noise. He does not want these kids doing the wind thing anymore because it is damaging his calm. (laughs) Yeah, it's really disconcerting, and so is being called captain. He has worked hard and done things to make it clear that he is not Captain Walker. Mm -hmm. He wants no part of that reputation or responsibility. And I think Anna Goanna, she does understand that he's not Captain Walker. I think she calls him Captain because they don't know what else to call him. He hasn't introduced himself. If they don't call him Captain Walker, are they going to call him um, Mr. Dead Pocket Guy? Right. He has only identified himself as not Captain Walker. He hasn't given them a positive identity. Exactly. So she reverts back to something. And, <laughs> I mean, it works. He knows that she's talking to him. Exactly. So it works. But even as Max rebels against that lady, He still doesn't give them another label to call him. Mm -hmm. I am a little surprised. This tribe tends to identify groups by their actions. There are the trackers. There are the gatherers and the fishers. There are the leavers and the waiting ones. They're defined by their role and their function in the society. So I'm a little surprised that they didn't call Max like the wanderer. Mm Kind of defining how he arrived there. I just realized that I skipped over a very important detail in Wednesday's minute. Oh yeah? Savannah, Gecko, Finn, Skyfish, and Kushaw, and Screwloose. It's not just those six that left. There's a bit of dialogue that doesn't get subtitled that I missed many, many times watching before. Anna mentions that co-pilot is also gone. (gasps) Oh, yes, I remember. Yes, yeah, I remember that. That co-pilot went with him. Mm -hmm. I love that... Sally Ann got the label of co-pilot and it has stuck. It's yeah. it's really cute. <laughs> it's a shame that they didn't make a tiny pilot's hat for Sally Ann. She probably wouldn't have worn it, but she is the co-pilot, so it would have been nice if they had a tiny hat for her to wear. <laughs> but yeah, playing off the fact that they are still calling him captain, I, I realized that I completely forgot to mention that co-pilot went with them. So Max gets them all to quiet down, paces a little bit, He gets right up against the Camry. He's got his hands on his head for a little bit. And you can see the wheels turning in his head, weighing the options. Stay or go. If he stays, he can live in relative comfort, but he'll have the guilt of not doing anything weighing on his conscience. And if there's one thing about Max, it's that he's got major guilt complex. Oh, definitely. And I feel like that goes back to the deleted scene. And I say deleted scene, I mean the scene that was in the book that was not included in the movie of reminiscing about Jesse and Sprague and how he failed to save them. And so this is another situation where people are in imminent danger and he has the option of going to save them. Considering this moment of his decision making on the heels of the scene from the novelization gives this moment a bit more meaning. Mm -hmm. It affirms that he is racked with guilt, that he does remember them and miss them, and he actively tries not to think about them. He says he hasn't said Jesse's name out loud in 20 years. And all of a sudden, he's in a position, in a place, mentally and emotionally, where he says her name out loud. And that just brings up all these feelings of guilt and responsibility. And he's immediately faced with that decision 
decision again. Back when we were talking about Mad Max 79, Max makes some decisions when actively trying to protect Jessie. He knows that she is being followed and he chooses to go into the woods to look for the people who are following her. And at the same time, they'd already left the woods and were waiting at the farmhouse. So his decision to leave his current location and go after somebody could have cost Jesse her life. Mm -hmm. And it's not said explicitly in the book. This is just me thinking about how I would feel in the situation. I would for the rest of my life question that moment and blame myself for choosing to go into the woods rather than choosing to stay with my family. I imagine that Max would have a difficult time trusting his decision making. Mm -hmm. And once again, he is faced with this decision. Do I stay or do I go? Do I stick with the people that I know are safe and protect them because they're a known quantity or do i venture out to tackle the issue be proactive and whatnot mm -hmm. okay and after a moment of thinking this he turns and says i need all the water i can carry he doesn't declare himself he doesn't say all right this is my plan i'm gonna go after them this is how i'm gonna succeed i need all the water that i can carry he is not used to sharing his decisions with other people. Right. He's very solitary. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, his decisions really only affect him, at least in the positive. You know, they may affect other people in the negative, but he doesn't care about them. So he doesn't necessarily share his plan. He just says what he needs. And I appreciate that Slake has very little hesitation to make a gesture and then every child in that group throws all of their water into a pile. So kind of wondering about the carrying of the water. Is that just a habit? Do they carry water everywhere they go? Oh, absolutely. They live on the edge of a desert. They are aware of arid conditions, and so it just becomes good practice for them to always carry water with them because they're children. They're going to get thirsty, and they don't want to hoof it all the way back to camp to the <laughs> fresh water source. They would be in the habit of carrying their own water. So every kid, ostensibly, would have something to offer. Okay. One of those water carriers, they were all different, so it's kind of hard to label them. One of them was quite large. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was like one of the last ones done. So it was kind of on top of the pile, but kind of at the back of the pile. So it was a little bit hard to actually see how big it was. But I did get the impression that it was much bigger than the rest of the containers. Mm -hmm. And really what I was wondering with the presence of so much water, did some of them walk out there with the intention of going after them? That's a good question. With maybe in the back of their mind like i'm gonna take lots of water with me because what if we go after them i want to be able to go with or maybe their intention was to go and slake stopped them mm. it's possible that there are still members of the tribe that stayed behind who wished they had gone who were sympathetic to the idea yes that's possible. I didn't count how many water things were dropped, so I don't know. Oh, maybe six, seven, eight? That's oh, just a guess. More than that, yeah. Like, looking at the pile, I was thinking more in the tens. Okay. Maybe twenties. That's certainly reasonable. Theoretically, we know five kids left. Mm-hmm. So, theoretically, that leaves 47 kids left behind. So, there really should be 47 containers of water dumped on the ground. Yeah, a lot more. They certainly did not actually bring in 52 kids that are numbered in the screenplay. Yeah. 
but you know. After they've piled all their water together, Max walks over and starts picking up flasks and water skins and all these other things. And he's joined by Anna Goanna, who starts picking things up. And Max straight up asks her what she's doing. And Anna says that she's coming along to salvage for her buddies. And while, yeah, that's noble of her to say that, I do feel like she's coming specifically to find Gecko. And that's just conjecture from the book and the storybook, those two sources, what we know about her from there. Just in the context of the movie itself, it is more generally, I'm going to help you find my friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's another carryover from that defined relationship in the book. There are lots of those moments that carry over about that particular relationship it would have been nice to know in the movie that that's why anna goanna acts the way she does yeah i think it might have given a little bit more depth and sympathy to her character Mm -hmm. the movie's not less for not knowing those things but because i do know those things and see her actions in a slightly different light i like her more like of course she's gonna go with max makes her a bit more courageous generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And it's also Anna who suggests that they need a hunter. They need a third person to help them on their way. Yeah, she's got a good head on her shoulders. She's definitely got more of a plan as to what she'd like to see happen. She's got a bit of taking charge Mm -hmm. about her, which Max needs. Max needs somebody else sometimes to take charge. He has developed this way, like I mentioned, I think on Monday, that he has a way of taking charge of wherever he is. It's healthy for him to have other people around who do that. Yeah. We love the relationship between him and Auntie, partly because Auntie is a take charge type. So is Anna Goanna. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason that Max and Goose worked so well together. Max had skill, Goose had personality. Yeah, that's definitely something Max is a bit lacking. He's a bit more reserved than Mm -hmm. most charismatic leading types. Yeah. So Anna requests a hunter. I'm assuming that she wants a hunter because hunters are good at tracking, following signs and following prey and whatnot. I think the most important skill that a tracker will bring to this particular expedition is finding their way back. There are no landmarks. They're going to have to follow the direction of the sun and the wind and the stars. A tracker would be the best person to know how to do those things. Yeah. The point isn't to take a leaving and go out into the world. The point is to go find people and bring them back. What's funny is that as Slake turns to look at the gathered children, the first person to step forward is actually little Eddie. Pushes through the crowd, starts grabbing at water, and they don't explicitly tell Eddie no. Yeah. They sort of ignore the fact that he's doing it and then go on to just looking elsewhere. We cut out, we see Slake turn the other direction and the camera starts tracking through this group of children. Yeah, the whole Eddie moment, I thought really curious. The timing of him pushing forward indicated that he wanted to be the tracker, but we already know he's not in the tracker class. He's not in the tracker group. He's so small, I don't really understand where he fits in. Probably in the gatherers. Yeah, they probably all start out as gatherers. And I really like how the camera pans. We're searching in the crowd for the one. Mm -hmm. And we go across lots of kids, and then we land on one. The way this minute ends, you could argue that we don't quite get to Tubba, but we are going to settle in on Tubba Tintai. Tubba Tinti? I don't know. Tintai makes sense. It's T-I-N-T-Y-E. Tintai is how I yeah, read it. Yeah, because 
you would die spelled d-y-e is die but as this camera is moving we see other hunters other trackers in the group but you can see tubba off to the side and there's no one behind tubba and everybody seems to be turning around to look at the person next to them so we're eventually going to settle in on him in fact that's exactly how we start off Monday morning. Yeah, and I have some questions and comments about that, but I think I'm going to save it till Monday. That's fair, because Monday's going to see Tubba formally volunteered. He doesn't volunteer (laughs) himself. Someone volunteers for him as the designated hunter to accompany Max and Anna, and then, of course, all three of them are going to head out into the desert in order to track down the ones who left, and that's going to be that day. Before we get to Monday, though, we always have our Anarchy Road stuff our bonus show that we've got running. This week, we are in week 23 for Anarchy Road. We start to see the pirates getting the upper hand on Peter, but before they can completely overtake him, we're going to see the Lost Boys swoop in and just all-out assault the pirates, and hijinks are going to ensue involving adults trying to murder children and children fighting back in creative ways. Smee gets to finally exercise some self-preservation and focus on number one there and we get to see rufio challenge hook peter's gonna come in and try and stop it but then peter's gonna get distracted by maggie but yeah we get to see the very start of this hook rufio showdown so join us over on our patreon for that feed it's only three bucks a month just go over there throw some money at us you get to listen to all of the weeks before now join us because we are really getting into the exciting part of hook if you don't want to join us for the patreon that's fine we're going to be back here on monday with minute 70 the mad max minute podcast is a fan project by rick and julia ingham mad max franchise was created by george miller and byron kennedy is presented by kennedy miller mitchell productions and distributed by warner brothers Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 69 of beyond thunderdome see you next time Everybody!